guys, welcome to another episode of Think ID. My name is Pablo Lapatina. And I'm William Zamonier. And on today's episode, we have a special guest. We have Dr. Mary Lee Worley, an assistant professor here at Nova Southeastern University. She's an infectious disease clinical pharmacist, and she teaches an elective on antimicrobial stewardship here to second and third year pharmacy students, which we have talked about in the past. Yeah, we actually had the privilege of taking her antimicrobial stewardship class, and we mentioned it in our first episode. So please give a warm welcome to Dr. Mary Worley. Thank you guys so much for the opportunity to speak about antimicrobial stewardship today. Of course. Thank you for coming. We're excited for this episode. So we have a few questions to get our listeners introduced to the concept of antimicrobial stewardship. So our first question is, what is antimicrobial stewardship? That's a great question. In general, as a general general term, antimicrobial stewardship is the judicious use of antimicrobials. Mm. Uh, but a little bit more specifically, antimicrobial stewardship programs are coordinated programs that promote appropriate use of antimicrobials, which okay. includes antibiotics. And it's really in an effort to improve patient outcomes and reduce resistance, (laughs) which we talk about a lot, and then also help reduce uh, diseases and decrease the spread of infections caused by multi-drug resistance. Okay, perfect. Yeah, some of these interventions were discussed in that elective, and it's uh, it's a team effort. So one other question, when did we first see resistance and when did this resistance, um, you know, start having a significant impact on mortality? That's actually a really good question, and it's important to think about when we're thinking about what is antimicrobial stewardship. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually first saw resistance immediately after the first antibiotics were reduced wow. or introduced. Sorry. Yeah. And so we're talking about 1940s, 1950s, and clinicians were actually recognizing antimicrobial resistance that was emerging right after the advent of things like penicillin. Right. And mm-hmm. so this actually did have a good impact on us in some ways because because it led to a huge rush to development of new antibiotics. And back by 1957, they had already discovered the new chemical entities, including tetracyclines, macrolides, aminoglycosides, glycopeptides, polyenes, and polymyxin. That's a lot of antibiotics. A lot, right? In like (laughs) not even 15 years. And and the development of those was really driven by resistance and clinicians having patients die because they had no antibiotic options. Yeah, how unfortunate that that we're in that (laughs) same scenario now again. Exactly. The post-antibiotic. I actually read that um, the person who discovered penicillin even warned about the use of antibiotics at the time. So it's definitely been, it's not a new concept. And he even specifically said, if we don't dose it properly, we can get resistance. So he even had a little bit of a nod over to uh, pharmacotherapy and uh, PKPD uh, optimization there. Shout out to the pharmacist. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So our next question is, how was it introduced to the medical field? So we have to first talk about the concept before we talk about the term. So the concept of antimicrobial stewardship, I would say, probably started around the late 70s and 80s with a uh, program actually out of the Hartford Hospital in Connecticut. And it was a formal program that was with an infectious disease physician and clinical pharmacist. And the program focused on providing prospective audit with feedback. Mm. And it was actually called Mm. an antibiotic streamlining program. So they didn't call it stewardship. They called it streamlining. Okay. Yeah. And then like after that happened in the early 90s, uh, 
a couple other programs looked at another pharmacist-led streamlining program. The main outcomes of these initial programs that they were reporting in uh, publications were Mm -hmm. actually cost reductions. So this had a little bit of an impact later on when we talk about some of the messaging. Okay, how so? Well, so in the 90s and stuff, they started coming out with a little bit more publications talking about a little bit of mention of resistance. So Mm -hmm. then we started introducing that. And then it wasn't until in the 2000s that antimicrobial stewardship as a term started being used instead Mm -hmm. of streamlining, Streamlining. right? And I would say the messaging concerns kind of happened um, probably in that early stage. Okay. Okay, so we were trying to get away from that reducing cost message. Yeah. And then, so obviously with this new terminology and this new concept of antimicrobial stewardship, um, I'm sure some challenges came about. So can you tell us a little bit about these initial challenges? Yeah. So the initial challenges started off with clinicians' acceptance of the recommendations, which is understandable in that, you know, sometimes being an early adopter of new scientific things can come with its own risks. Right. So clinicians didn't want to risk patient outcomes Mm -hmm. by adopting something new that maybe hadn't been uh, done before in their practice. And so that kind of is one of the initial challenges. And then additionally, as I mentioned, the initial marketing of this antibiotic streamlining was for cost savings. And that ended up kind of having a adverse reputation. Okay. People started thinking that it was the antibiotic police and that, <laughs> you know, it ended up uh, the reputation, you know, affected the acceptance rate in in, right. uh, in the end of the day. And so in the past decade, um the Infectious Disease Society of America, as well as the Society of Epidemiology and Society of Infectious Disease Pharmacists mm-hmm. all have made this unified effort to try and change that message okay. and to emphasize that this is, antimicrobial stewardship is a patient-centered focus. Right. And the efforts that we're doing is geared towards combat, combating this cost message gotcha. and focusing on optimizing our patients' outcomes, as well as reducing resistance, not just in that one specific patient, but also in um, further patients down the line. Right, in right. general. So um, what you're saying was that due to the unintended message that came from the original study that was focused on cost saving, that kind of like made um, physicians take a halt in their acceptance of antimicrobial stewardship because they thought of it as more of a police of antibiotics instead of focusing on patient care, which it wasn't the case. Exactly. So I think that the initial clinicians um, seeking to do antibiotic streamlining didn't intend on that being the message. It just so happened to that being that was the loudest thing that came out. Gotcha. Probably to defend having um, more positions at those hospitals to kind of say, hey, we saved you $300,000 this year. We should hire a person to specifically do this. But the reason that we're doing this is to help those patients. It's not really to just cut costs. And so really focusing on the patient aspects and patient care aspects is something mm-hmm. we have to do. And it's also very important to mention that um, here at our interprofessional you know, group where we have a lot of professions come together and we discuss antibiotics, we still see sort of like this message um, being portrayed about cost being the main issue. And that's why it's important that we have, you know, we spread the message through the podcast exactly. or through other professionals and, you know, shift away from that and into the quality and the patient outcomes. Yeah, exactly. hopefully, hopefully through this podcast, we do spread that message out there Great. to the listeners. <laughs> I actually had a question. So the CDC, um, I know that they um, implemented or um, recommended that 
acute care hospitals have an antimicrobial stewardship program. Is cost one of the measures for that program? No, it's not. It really does. So the CMS measures are not asking hospitals to report out their cost per patient day of antibiotics. In fact, it really kind of steers away from that. It does talk about the use of um, the oral enteral route when possible, right? Right. So switching from IVPO, it talks about some of these things that we know can have a positive uh, patient impact, very patient-centered. Right. So that right there there lets you know that it's not Not about about the cost. Our next question is, how can students in the healthcare field contribute to the understanding of what antimicrobial stewardship is? I think this is actually a great question, and I hope your audience uh, pays attention to this because I think that students have a huge impact, and I think that you guys can help out with basically relaying the message, telling uh, these experienced providers that the main goals of antimicrobial stewardship is to combat antibiotic resistance, combat antimicrobial resistance, and have good impacts on patient outcomes. And hopefully this discussion, these podcasts (laughs) can encourage students to start the conversation with their preceptors when they're on clinical rotations. And maybe this can help them engage in a positively focused discussion about Mm -hmm. judicious antibiotic use. Okay. And like we always say, that's the goal of our podcast is to get to let you guys be more aware and knowledgeable about infectious diseases. So if you hear something and now we're, you know, letting you guys know more about this topic, we encourage you guys to go out there, talk to your friends, to your family about it and spread the word because it's important. Exactly. (laughs) And then the last question is basically, are all countries in general concerned with antimicrobial stewardship as as it is here at the U.S.? I would say yes. Um, Globally, clinicians all over the globe are concerned about antibiotic resistance. And in fact, the World Health Organization does have an open access resource Mm. for clinicians to use to help them with tools of how to implement stewardship programs in their hospitals and in their practices. That's great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And globally, efforts in antimicrobial stewardship in reference to non-human use of antibiotics, they have to be supported by the governmental bodies of each country in order to be successful. And so, um, and we're talking about the use in in animals on farms, uh, runoff from the pharmaceutical manufacturers, right? Things like that where antibiotics is being introduced to the environment and then promoting resistance, right? With sub-inhibitory levels, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So we need to have better governmental controls of those pollution types Mm -hmm. of uh, antibiotic issues. And really in 2016, uh, the the U.S. participated in a U.N. General Assembly. And actually there was this whole assembly meeting that was a high-level meeting on antibiotic resistance. And the nations actually passed a resolution to combat antibiotic resistance worldwide. Wow. And so there is some movement in this field, but right. again, it's it's evolving and it's kind of a little bit late in the game, but hopefully we can uh, hopefully we can make some efforts, big efforts That's soon. That's the goal. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that brings light on another topic of antimicrobial stewardship. You know, it's not just the proper use of uh, antibiotics in humans, like she was mentioning. Or in the hospital. Or in the hospital. That goes to, you know, the the products that you're consuming, the water that we're drinking. So all of that somehow ties into antimicrobial uh, resistance and that's what we wanted you guys to be more aware of as well. Yeah, because even before we started this podcast, we had no idea yeah. of how, like, antibiotics just, like, coming everywhere. out of our ears. Yeah, yeah like, it's everywhere. everywhere. It's in the air. You just don't know. You just don't know. And yeah. hopefully, through this podcast, people find out and spread the word about antibiotics and the resistance and antimicrobial stewardship. Definitely. 
So I wanted to thank you, Dr. Worley. We really appreciate your time. This was an amazing episode and we're really excited. Yes, thank you so much for being here. Thank you all. And I look forward to our future clinicians uh, yes. being more judicious about their antimicrobial use. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, you're definitely. Welcome. Yeah, you so you're much. welcome. We'll definitely be bringing Dr. Worley back for future episodes. Yes. We're super excited. We have we're a lot of stuff planned for you guys. So thank you again. So before we bug out, here are some infectious news. According to Specialty Pharmacy Times, routine versus targeted hepatitis C testing in U.S. state prisons is being recommended to eliminate the hepatitis C transmission in prison populations. So they want routine versus targeted. What are we doing right now? Targeted? Right. So right now, the CDC currently recommends that targeted or risk-based testing, which means those people that are born between 1945 to 1965 or those with a history of uh, injection drug use should be tested. And okay. then they want to shift now to a more of a routine testing while they're in there. And why did they shift from targeted to routine? So according to the study conducted at Boston Medical Center, researchers estimated that up to 35% of these infections would have been missed with testing by target methods such as birth cohorts and risk behaviors. Gotcha. So they're just trying to cover more um, of their bases, making sure they're screening for everybody. Exactly. And trying to prevent as many of the spread and transmission of the hepatitis C within the prisons. Awesome. Awesome. All right. All right so that's it for this week's episode of Think ID. Until next time, bug, bug you next week. week.